It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. If there's anything you want to share with us, anything happening over the weekend, or you want to comment on anything that we're doing on the programme or that comes up on the news, we would love to hear from you. I've already had a text in from a listener talking about what they were doing at the weekend, saying it was at the Westlife concert at the weekend. It was absolutely brilliant, but the sound was appalling. Ah, that's just so disappointing. And actually, I'd heard somebody talk about being at the first of the Westlife concerts. I think it was the one Friday, one Saturday night. And she had actually said the sound was brilliant. So when I, and when I'd heard that, I was saying, oh, that's great. Because whatever it is this year, I think more than any other year with concerts on, I'm hearing more complaints about sounds at concerts And it's just, it's very disappointing if you're going along and you've been a fan, you know, and certainly the people that went along to Westlife were people who had been fans for many, many years. And there was a countdown to this reunion tour, people going along uh, to see them. So if the sound wasn't right, that was disappointing. Now, I don't know if it was just where you were at the venue that you were just in a bad, even though that shouldn't. I mean, no matter where you are in a venue, if you're paying and you pay high prices for those tickets, you should be able to hear the concert properly. So we'll put it out there to see were others the same? Did others agree? If you went to Westlife at the weekend or you had a family member at the Westlife concerts over the weekend, what were they saying about the sound? Were others disappointed with the sound? 1850 Now coming up on the programme this morning, uh, we're going to return to the story that we had on the programme, that very sad story that we had on the programme on Friday of the little toddler who was uh, found, what now has been reported as beaten to death in the Cork City apartment on Friday morning. Little Santina Cawley. We now have a little, and we now have a name on this precious, precious little soul. We were only referring to her as a as a toddler on Friday, but it's now been uh, confirmed. Her name is, uh, her name was uh, Santina Cawley. And of course, we know the Gardaí have now upgraded this case to a murder case. Again, when we were talking about it on Friday, we initially had hoped that she would pull through. And then, of course, before the close of the programme, we heard that she had sadly passed away. But then it was Friday after. It was, well, it was Saturday, I think, by the time it was finally upgraded to a murder. The Gardaí obviously had to wait on the results of the post-mortem. But it's just such a tragic case. And her little face now is on a lot of the newspapers today. It was a picture I'm assuming that was taken from a Facebook uh, post but she's a 
beautiful, beautiful little uh, two-year-old and she has her little bottle in, in, in her mouth. She hadn't been, well, when that photograph had been taken, she certainly had been weaned off the uh, bottle. We'll be finding out more about that case. And of course, Gardaí are uh, continuing with the uh, case. No arrests have been uh, made and the Gardaí are appealing to anyone who was in the area of Elderwood Park apartment complex on the Boring Manor Road on early on Friday morning uh, to please make contact with the Gardaí if you if they haven't already uh, spoken with them. And there's another very sad case in the papers today to do with the, to do with another tragic death of a child. It's kind of very depressing on a Monday morning to be talking about this. This time a little seven-year-old girl who died. She A car accidentally rolled back and pinned her against a garden gate. It's just one of those horrific accidents and tragedies that unfolded. It was in Drogheda in County Louth. It seems there was a group of children playing out near the car. You know, a nice sunny afternoon and all the kids playing. And it seems the little girl wasn't from the area. She was visiting relatives and staying with relatives. I don't know who she was. She's staying with her grandparents perhaps, which, you know, and a lot of children will spend summertime with, you know, maybe going down the country to stay with Granny or to stay with a much-loved aunt or uncle and they love playing with all the other children and there's new children to play with and there's the cousins to play with and you can imagine the excitement of all the little kiddies out playing and that seemingly is, is the, this, this tragedy unfolded because the children were playing near the car. The car started to roll back. It was a grey Ford Focus and it just pinned this little one, this little seven-year-old little girl against uh, the gate uh, and uh, she's uh, tragically has uh, died such that's just two dreadful, dreadful stories about uh, children who should be just enjoying their summer holidays and, and instead the families are now will be in the process of organising funerals. Uh, may those two little ones rest in peace and thoughts and prayers with the families who are just, their lives will never, ever uh, be the same again. 1850 Also coming up on the programme this morning, we're going to be trying to find out why women are waiting so long for gynecological surgery at the Cork University Maternity Hospital. It seems in the last year, the waiting list for surgery has doubled, which is just shocking. We know waiting lists are getting higher. But from what I can gather, these are women have been identified as needing surgery. The consultant has seen them. They've gone through all the tests, all the appointments that you need to do to get to that stage of going in for surgery to be told, yes, you need surgery. Yes, we've got a problem here. And, you know, obviously you straight away look at the doctor and think, well, when are you going to do the surgery to be told, will you now go on a list? And it's that list has doubled in the last year. So if it's doubled, it's taking longer for those women to get into the hospital to have the surgery and the list is just getting longer and longer. Need for a second surgery to open at the Cork University Maternity Hospital. Uh, I, I can hear a number of people nodding and saying, obviously, if the waiting list is doubling, we need to get more of the surgeries done. So we're going to be talking about that. Actually, there is another hospital story that you probably heard on our news if you've been listening to our news bulletins with Barry this morning. And this, this it's good news funnily enough for Cork University Hospital but bad news for Bantry General Hospital and it is a study and report that's out it's the annual report on the from the National Health Quality reporting system and they look at all of the different hospitals and they set it up in a kind of a league table and they were looking at the, a patient's chance of dying 
and obviously surviving after a heart attack or stroke. And this report shows it can vary significantly depending on the hospital. So it depends on which hospital you get to if you have a stroke or if you have a heart attack. And the Cork, looking at the 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 hospitals here in the south, the Cork University Hospital, you have the best chance of surviving a heart attack or stroke if you end up at the Cork University Hospital. But bottom of the pile is Bantry General Hospital. They have the highest death rate in the country for people who have a heart attack. They're aligned with Port Yunkala Hospital and the University Hospital in uh, Kerry. So that certainly is worrying, as I say, good for the Cork University Hospital, but bad news uh, for Bantry and for people living in that particular uh, area. We're also going to ask the question why we need to have a dedicated Garda fraud unit. Last week on the programme, we spent time talking about the case of that woman, young woman who went in who you would assume was trying to put in a fraudulent case against the restaurant claiming that she was eating her dinner and lo and behold she gets close I have to say to the end of eating the dinner by all accounts when she starts choking and uh, waitress is called what's wrong and out of her mouth pops a piece of glass there was a piece of glass in my dinner and the luckily the owner knew that there couldn't have been looked at this piece of glass and thought that could not have come out of my kitchen because it turns out he doesn't allow any glass in the kitchen. You know, it's the type of glass that you would see in a a drinking glass, for example. They don't allow any of that in the kitchen. The glass like that's in the bar is washed in a separate area. The actual kitchen where they prepare food, glass is not allowed. Now, I don't know if it's for this reason uh, or not. So straight away, suspicion started to rise. They look back on the CCTV very quickly and they quickly saw on CCTV very clearly that uh, she had taken the glass she had it hidden inside her top while she was sitting down because she looks around to make sure nobody's looking at her puts her hand inside her top takes out the piece of glass pops it in her mouth and then does the very dramatic acting she would have got an Academy Award for the acting and of course they call the Gardaí and then when it's pointed out to her we have it on CCTV we can clearly see that you've taken the piece of glass oh well we'll leave it there and she leaves and obviously no case she doesn't take a case against uh, the restaurant but if that had gone to court you could imagine the implications for that uh, restaurant so if a case like that went to court should there be a dedicated guard the fraud squad to investigate people like that and also to investigate why you'll, you'll discover after somebody is in court they've had numerous other cases where they have received compensation could they be that unlucky could they be that accident prone you know you wonder should cases like that be looked into and the only way to actually go after them and look into them is to have a dedicated Garda Fraud unit. We would all benefit from a unit like this because it would mean our insurance costs would be reduced if we could stop fraudulent cases and if we could stop exaggerated cases the insurance companies would be paying out less in claims and obviously the knock-on would be we would pay less in our premiums. Bring it on if that's what it needs bring on a dedicated Garda Fraud unit. Why we haven't had one by now, I certainly cannot uh, understand. We're going to be discussing back-to-school costs on the programme today. And once again, it's kind of an annual event at this stage, we will discuss generic uniforms and why all schools do not have a rule whereby you can buy your uniform anywhere you want. If you want to go out and buy very expensive jumpers and trousers and tracksuits, then so be it. Or if you want to go into your local department store and buy your tracksuits, or if you want to go into your supermarkets, most of the high school, most of the high street supermarkets now do low cost uniforms. 
I don't know. I don't have a, a child of that age that I'm sending to school. So I don't know what the quality is like. But I certainly have friends of mine who say that they buy inside in the supermarket and find absolutely nothing wrong with the quality in what they're in what they're buying, particularly the tracksuits. Because if you've got a little boy with tracksuits, you'll know, and little girls as well, they can grow out of them so quickly that the tracksuit you buy at the start of the year in September, if your child gets a growth spurt, that tracksuit may not be still fitting them at Christmas. Does that mean if you're not allowed to buy a generic one, are you going back and buying a very expensive tracksuit? So I'd be interested to hear from parents who are already, even though we're only into the first week in July, and for the primary school children they're only about two weeks on their school leave their summer holidays already there's many households if you've more than one child to go back to school in September have already started that buying of the buying the uniforms or buying the, the textbooks that need to be bought and the copy books and the pencils and the school bags and the school shoes there's just so much has to be bought that if you're living on a very tight budget the best way to do is a little bit of budgeting and you buy a little bit every week. You're still going to end up spending the same amount of money on it. Uh, but you, you by buying something every week, you don't feel you've got the big bill uh, coming in. And normally what we do is coming closer to the start of the school year, we know, you know, maybe the end of August, we'll start asking people, did you make, how much has it cost to get your Johnny or Mary out the front door and into school on the first day? So anyone that is doing the buying every week if you could just try and keep a note somewhere of how much you're spending on everything I'm talking about the crayons the copy books the the pencils whatever you need to buy just try and keep a note of everything you're spending you'll be surprised yourself I think if you keep a note of it because you see by, by paying a little bit every week you don't actually realise how much you've actually spent on sending your child back to school it certainly is dispelling the myth of free education. We talk about free education in this country there's an ad doing the rounds showing Donnick O'Malley and the big difference Donnick O'Malley and in fairness to the man he did the huge difference he made with the introduction of free education at secondary school but there is not a parent in this country will stand up and say yes my child has gone through the school system and got a totally free education because it's the ancillary costs of getting your child through the gates to get them into school and of course when they get into school there'll be all the things like the voluntary contribution there'll be the school looking for money for art there might be money wanted for photocopying there'll be money wanted if there's extracurricular activities some schools have to charge for schools and I'm not blaming the schools there's none of the schools doing this to make a profit they're doing it just to keep their front doors open they have to look for a voluntary contribution many of them look for the voluntary contribution in order to keep the lights on to pay for the heating over the winter months so it's you know schools aren't there to make a profit that's uh, for sure so the back to school costs are being discussed if you want to throw in your tuppence apenny worth we'd love to hear from you would you are you in one of those schools that insist on a crested jumper or a crested tracksuit and do you find that much more expensive or are on your on the other side maybe not, maybe some of the parents like the crested uniforms and are quite happy to pay the extra cost it costs to buy those specific jumpers and uh, tracksuits. We're going to be hearing as well about a virtual reality documentary. It's set on Cape Clear and it is about to be launched. I, I really I think this is a fascinating 
programme that's been operated on um, and I'm hoping that it's a media company, it's a Cork media company, a relatively new uh, media company that have made this documentary and I'm hoping that this proves to be really successful and they'll go on to make virtual reality documentaries set in other different parts of Cork because we live in a beautiful neck of the woods and this is a great, great way to uh, show it off and beautiful Cape Clear. Um, I think anyone who sees it with you know the virtual reality and puts on the headsets that you need to wear in order to see the virtual reality documentary I think you're going to take off that headset and say I now want to go to Cape Clear if you've never been there before and it's Monday so Annalise Dressel will join us she will answer all of your nutritional questions if you have any nutritional questions you can get them in throughout the morning Ellie was on to us to say hi Uh, Patricia just wanted to uh, thank us for tickets that you won on the programme to go see uh, Christy Moore Christy Moore she said was in top form on Saturday Night Live at the Marquee and they had a great time that's terrific to hear. Well done, Ellie. And I always love to hear back from people when they've gone along to uh, whatever show it is when they've won tickets here and that they've really enjoyed it. And Christy Moore, uh, by all accounts, played a blinder on Saturday night. We've more tickets actually to give away uh, this week on the programme. We are giving away tickets every day this week to The Odd Couple. The Everyman will be presenting The Odd Couple couple. It's the Tony Award winning play by Neil Simon and we have two pairs of tickets to give away every day this week. We will name out three couples of which one of them will be in an an odd couple in that they're not, not meant to be together and you've got to work out which of the three is the odd couple. We'll give you more details of the three odd couples later on in the programme today and your chance to win a pair of tickets to go along and see the odd couple. And we have tickets for Wednesday, the 17th of July. So Wednesday week and the show uh, starts at half past seven. OK, so we'll give you details. Right, you can win those tickets a little bit later on. Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. The number of women waiting for gynecological operations at Cork University Maternity Hospital has doubled in the last 12 months, prompting Professor John Higgins to say he has serious concerns relating to the growing risk to women on his inpatient waiting list. Cork Northwest Adult Deputy Andreas Moynihan is also concerned and uh, he joins me. Good morning to you, Andreas. Hi there, Patricia. Good morning. Now, uh, now these women have been assessed as needing surgery. Why are have those awaiting surgery increased from 545 in May of last year to 1,041 in June of this year? That's right. It's a, it's a dramatic increase uh, over doubling there over the last year. And the, the situation in CUMH uh, for gynecological services is an issue I've been raising over a number of years on it because people have been waiting both for in, in patients and outpatients. Uh, and the, this, there was clearly a Cork particular issue where Cork would have had the biggest, uh, the longest number of uh, people waiting um, and the largest crowd of people uh, one in ten people waiting over a year uh, and you know more people waiting in Cork than all of the Dublin hospitals put together so there's clearly a Cork issue and it took a while to to get through to, to Minister Ron he recognised that yes in 2017 that yeah there was something and that the business case needed to be made and that it would be dealt with and there was a lot of there has been a lot of effort put in on the outpatient side of it over over the last year year and a half, 
and uh, you know great credit to staff locally there who have taken on additional uh, appointments in the evenings and so on and a, a lot of effort put on it but one of the issues that was identified was that there was this theatre as well that was originally meant to be available for gynecological services and had not been opened and that issue is still out there so the people who are who are assessed um, for outpatients are now starting to accumulate and you know, uh, it, the problem is intensifying at the inpatient. So these stage. these women they get their outpatient appointments. They get to see the consultant or one of the consultants' team. They're assessed as needing a procedure or an operation, and then they get onto this other waiting list. That's right. Yes, there's a there's a an additional waiting list in for for surgery, and people have already spent a long time on the outpatients, as you outline, uh, waiting for it to get uh, access. They're identified as needing surgery, and then they're they're stuck again. Um, uh, one in ten of them are waiting for over a year uh, for to for to get that surgery. And Andreas, the real danger here is a risk of cancer or other serious conditions developing for these women while they wait. That that's right, and because uh, because uh, they've already been waiting a long time. Uh, their conditions have deteriorated most likely and to be told that you know you're you're still on hold again is very difficult uh, for people uh, who have already waited a long time especially when there is a theatre available and I know that uh, HSE have been using the National Treatment Purchase Fund for to outsource some of the, the surgeries and that's that's a, a, a big help on it but it's not the long term solution especially when you have a theatre that was designed and built at the time um, and that could be made available um, and that that would that would be a big positive step uh, for the hospital and most particularly for those women who have been waiting far too long for surgery and who are identified as needing to be uh, to, to be operated on. So if the business case for the second theatre was approved by Minister Harris in 2017 That's right. Do we assume the funding delay could it have anything to do with the National Children's Hospital and the overspend there? Uh, who knows? I think it's a very real possibility uh, because uh, you're really talking about 1.2 million uh, is what we were told for us was going to be needed when we questioned HSE and the, the hospital on it Because we're, this country is already reading from the Savital Czech uh, scandal. We could have another scandal that will just be related to women here in Cork if something isn't done, Andreas. It could, and like just the just the thought of it when it's something that could be dealt with, um, and an issue that has been known uh, that people are waiting longer in Cork than anywhere else in the country, um, and that for the, when the theatre is there for the sake of getting on with it they, uh, and when the minister says he's in agreement on it he should be able to tell the HSE to release the funding uh, 
they're talking about 1.2 million when, when we met with HSE and with the hospital over recent months. And, you know, it's surely something that could be done when we can clearly see that there is a need. There is a particular Cork issue uh, and it, it's one of the remaining aspects of the the, the situation that hasn't been dealt with over the last year and a half. Yeah, but it's, it's a real concern when I mentioned in the introduction that, you know, the uh, Professor John Higgins, who is the Clinical Director of Maternity uh, Services uh, in the South, when he's saying that he he has serious concerns relating to the growing risk to women on, hi- on the inpatient waiting list and he, and he emphasised the serious implications of, of delays that, you know, people like that have got to be listened uh, to. Very much so. Okay, and, and, and any response... From, they're going to be seeing that as well. Any response from the government lately when you've been raising it? Well, the most recent time I've raised it now was in the Dáil last week with the Taoiseach uh, to see if he would address it with the Minister and with the HSE and he seemed to be more kind of fobbing it off, look, Minister, we'll deal with that. You know, um, we've highlighted it to the Minister over the last year and a half. Uh, met with the, the hospital and with the, the HSE a number of times. And, uh, you know, it needs to. It needs that shot in the arm. It needs that energy and urgency from the Minister for to, to release the funding and, and to move it along to the next stage. Because um, clearly the need has been identified in the region. Uh, women are getting increasingly anxious when when they're there on the waiting list and the possibility that there is, um, as you say, cancers or various other different conditions and, and that your condition is deteriorating and that your quality of life is impacted for the sake of being able to get access to the surgery. Yeah, and and again, it's down to, it's down to geography and it's a little bit alike uh, the report that's out uh, today from the National Healthcare Quality Reporting System. It it seems to be it depends on where you are in the country when it comes to how long you're going to survive from a heart attack or a stroke. And I know hospitals hate league tables when it comes to revealing any kind of statistics on patients' deaths. Uh, but this is a worrying one for Bantry General Hospital, the highest death rate in the country for people who have a heart attack or a stroke. And that's right, yes. I've, I've been reading part of the report and uh, they've identified that Bantry is the highest uh, for, for deaths within 30 days after admissions. They, the report also goes on to find out that they can't conclude that it's anything to do with uh, with quality of care and that, that the access the patient had before admission uh, could be significant as well. So, for example, the likes of that first hour, the golden hour, getting somebody to a hospital um, and the, that that will be significant because clearly uh, on the figures that they've, that they've provided there as well, that that it's hospitals that are serving large rural areas um, are topping that that list, um, mm. you know. Okay, all right, uh, we'll leave it there, Andreas. And thank you for that, and thanks for joining us on the programme. Okay. Uh, good morning to you. That is Cork Northwest uh, Dáil Deputy Andreas Moynihan, 1850-333-103. John Paul takes your calls. You can text our uh, WhatsApp 86 2103103. Someone was on to us. Just a quick text in. Hi, Patricia. Um, 
I was listening to C103 yesterday and I was listening to Where the Road Takes You, that wonderful programme that goes out on Sunday night with uh, John Green. It was all about the gear at near McCroom, but unfortunately I didn't hear it all. I'm wondering, is it possible to purchase on a CD or how can I go about getting it? Thanking you. It is on a podcast. So if you go on to the C103 um, page, you'll be able to find it. Um, if you go to our website, you'll be able to find it as a podcast. Um, now, I don't know if the fact that it only went out yesterday, if it will, is it up straight away? It is up straight away. It's up straight up. It's, at, it's actually there now. You can get it as a podcast. Now last week people were shocked to hear details of the incident in a pub slash restaurant in Newbridge where a young woman slipped a piece of glass in her mouth and tried to claim that the glass was in the meal that she was just eating. Thankfully CCTV clearly showed she had deliberately staged the incident. To discuss why cases like this show how badly we need a dedicated Garda fraud unit, I'm joined by Peter Boland of the Alliance for Insurance Reform. Good morning to you, Peter. Good morning, Patricia. And you're welcome to the programme. Now, wasn't this publican, the owner of this pub, so lucky that he had good CCTV? He was lucky and he was brave, Patricia, because um, absolutely the camera was pointing in exactly the right place. He was around at the time. He had the presence of mind to go and have a look at it while the incident was unfolding uh, and the further presence of mind to call the Gardaí so that they came along and uh, um, resolved the issue more or less. Uh, he was also very brave to do it um, because nowadays, particularly with CCTV and data protection, you're, you're, you're in a minefield uh, when it comes to, to that sort of stuff. So he did absolutely the right thing to protect his business and his livelihood. Um, but it is not something that everybody would do. And Patricia, every week now, I see, see, I see CCTV footage from other places of similar incidents and worse uh, that still hasn't uh, seen the light of day. Uh, and it is happening all over the place. What do you believe would have happened if there hadn't been CCTV that day? Okay, well, need to be careful on this one because um, obviously there's, there's still some details to be ironed out on the case and I, I gather the guard that you're having a look at it. Uh, but in general, when something like that happens, uh, it happens for a very specific reason uh, and uh, that reason is that a, a case is taken. Uh, and what is driving this is that in Ireland, almost uniquely in the Western world, uh, the amount of money you can get for very minor uh, injuries is enormous. Uh, and so it is a punt worth taking. I, I think I may have said to you before that uh, I, I was at a public meeting down in Cork City uh, last year and a, a very irate gentleman stood up in the middle of the public meeting and said, listen, he said, if I have a choice between robbing a bank and staging a claim, 
I'll stage the claim every day of the week because there are no consequences uh, and I'm very unlikely in any case that I'll get caught. Uh, and, and that's essentially what's happening at this level of it now, Patricia. So and even if you do get caught, even if somebody is proven that the judge, you know, clearly sees that this case has been exaggerated, for example, they walk away and nothing happens to them. They do. They do. And there's a piece of legislation which compels the judge to dismiss a case like that. But there's also a piece of legislation which uh, compels the courts to prosecute. Uh, and that is never used. In our experience, it has been used once. Uh, since the legislation was brought in in 2004. So you've got a free run at it. Uh, and, and that is a huge part of the problem from our point of view. And w- which is worse? Or what are we seeing more of? Is it, is it outright fraudulent cases like, like that? Somebody deliberately putting a piece of glass into their mouth pretending it was in the dinner. That's just out and out fraud. Or is it exaggerated cases? I have a slip. I don't really hurt myself, but I let on I did. Are we having more of a problem with the exaggerated cases? Our feeling is that there's little or no data in the insurance world. Um, but we have, our feeling is that combined, they would amount to about 8% of total cases. And that's a figure that came from a, a solicitor in Limerick last year uh, who deals with a lot of personal injury cases. Um, our feeling further is that it's mostly exaggerated. Um, and, you know, is it grossly exaggerated? Is it exaggerated in a minor way? Either way, it doesn't really matter. Um, it has the same net effect because I suppose, like when we talked about this first, Patricia, which was about a year ago, I guess at this stage, there was a general perception out there that if you did that, you were almost sticking it to the man uh, that, you know, you get extra money from an insurance company, I'm sure, aren't they massive? multinationals uh, and they can afford it. But the reality is that insurance companies don't lose money. Uh, So what they do is they pass on the cost. And so essentially when you're claiming like that, you're claiming off your neighbour because it is the the main consequence from Vivian Carroll's point of view of the guy in Newbridge uh, with the lady in the glass in her mouth is that that would have affected his premium instantly. Um, and, And funny, this is a point that isn't often discussed, but Say in that case, he hadn't had the CCTV uh, and he reported the incident to his insurance company. It immediately goes on to his policy. So at his next renewal, regardless of what had happened in the meantime, he would have seen an increase. And that increase. And that's before that even would have gone to court. Before a claim is made, before it's gone to court, before there's been any resolution to it, it has already gone on to his policy. Uh, and it is an increase at the next uh, renewal. And of course, once that's there, it's very hard for him to transfer an insurer either. But once it's sitting on once the claim is on your policy, so you're you're a captive market, uh, and you have to take those increases. So, you know, as it stands, the the whole thing is structured to extract the most money possible from policyholders. As soon as the claim goes in, you're captured by the insurance company and you're subject to increases. Um, the, the legislation as it currently stands uh, means that essentially uh, any owner of a premises or occupier of a premises is absolutely liable in most cases. So there's no attempt nowadays to figure out whether there was negligence uh, and if it was fraudulent or exaggerated, there's very little in the way of sanction. What, um, what, what, so what difference would, would having a dedicated guard the fraud unit make? It, it would work on a couple of different levels, right? Um, 
the Gardaí as it stands are moving towards this divisional fraud approach as they call it and uh, they're trialling it in four different Garda divisions at the moment and so they would be generalised units but we're looking for something at head office level so to speak that would coordinate from an insurance point of view it would do two things right uh, obviously you'd you very quickly get prosecution because a lot of the time this is so obvious and so in your face and so blatant that there are a lot of low-hanging fruit that the Gardaí just are not geared up to address right now. Uh, they don't have the manpower or uh, human resources uh, and they don't have the budget and they don't have the specialist people, the computer analysts or other uh, type of assistance that they would need. So, very quickly, you'd get prosecutions. The second thing it would do is it would have a chilling effect on this whole area for two reasons. Uh, first of all, it's a deterrent to people who are considering making a claim. Uh, and secondly, it very clearly uh, makes people aware that exaggerated and fraudulent claims are criminal. And that's not fully understood nowadays, I think. I don't think it's seen in the same light as robbing a bank. It's certainly seen as a victimless crime. Well, absolutely, yeah, yeah. And I, I think that that's moved on a little bit now. I think people are more aware, that some people are more aware that you're taken from your neighbour nowadays yeah. and that the, the, the implications are far more local, uh, that you're not taking it from a, a, a big insurer. But, uh, you know, that hasn't fully uh, been hammered home yet. And I think a Garda fraud unit would do just that. Are we getting any closer to sorting out insurance reform? Okay, well, two things on that, Tricia. I'd say if you press pause now, nothing that has happened so far will have a positive impact on your insurance premium. So whether it is motor uh, or liability for voluntary groups or small businesses, uh, in our view, nothing that has happened so far uh, is going to have a positive impact. But there has been a good bit of work done in the background um, the Judicial Council bill in particular, which was uh, passed through the door last week, uh, enables the, the judiciary to get going on reducing quantum for minor injuries. Uh, there has been a good bit of discussion within the Gardaí uh, about how they would uh, address fraud, albeit that it hasn't been backed up by funds from central government. Um, and there's a lot of work being done on transparency, which is probably the... The, the biggest legacy issue on this campaign if it does uh, end up and put in place, which is the kind of the, the data which allows you to figure out what's going on because it's a bit like looking into a black hole at the moment. There, you know, there's, there's, there's no stats there to prove uh, who's to blame and what needs to be sorted out. Okay. So there is a fair bit of work being done, but we're, we're constantly gobsmacked at how slowly this is moving. And, 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 so, and so are so many other people I can tell you I can see loads of, of people saying will we ever get insurance for, for, uh, reform and many people saying well done to Peter Boland and the campaign that he's fighting keep fighting the fight but a very quick one Kate wants to know your view um, and what, what's Peter's view on the should the government and the Taoiseach publish the internal report into Fine Gael, Marie Bailey and Swingate and all of that that report that's out and the, and the Taoiseach saying it's not going to publish would you like to see that published? Well that's a political decision at this stage I, I think from an insurance reform point of view it's already uh, had a massive impact uh, on the way that things are happening because it made it very clear like, like as we said at the time in, this, in the, the middle of the storm really 
the biggest impact of that case has been to illustrate what's happening day in, day out uh, in premises all over the country. Uh, and it, it further went on to highlight the whole issue of exaggeration, like an incident did happen. Everybody knows that. Um, but it's that whole uh, exaggeration side of things that it probably highlighted as well. So it has, it has done its work already. Um, I, I think that report being published is a political decision. And I'll leave it up to the politicians to decide on whether that's okay, we won't or not. Go, okay, we won't get, get stuck into the politics of it. You're dead right. <laughs> Peter, thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, good thank morning you, to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Peter Boland with the Alliance for Insurance Reform. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Nula has been on to us is wondering if any listener can help us out. She is wondering, is there anyone that takes in cats or stray cats? She's tried many animal helplines and welfare groups and animal charities, but nobody t- seems to be taking in uh, stray cats. She is in the particularly looking for someone to take stray cats in the Bandon Clonakilty area. Yeah, it's very hard to get animal, t- certainly animal charities. Uh, if they start taking in stray cats, they will just be inundated uh, with them so I'm assuming that's one of the reasons that they are not uh, able to help. I know in West Cork they do the trap and release, trap, neuter and release scheme which is one way of the feral cats in the area of uh, helping with that problem. But anyway, uh, Nuala listen we've given it out and we'll see if anybody can help if anybody has words of advice for Nuala 1850 333 103. Now as we mentioned Gardaí in Cork say the investigations into the death of the two year little toddler in Cork last Friday is continuing today. Sent Tina Cawley was found with serious injuries in an apartment at the Elderwood Complex on the Boreen Manor Road. Paul Byrne of Virgin Media News broke the story with this tragic story with us last Friday and he once again uh, rejoins me. Good morning to you, Paul. Hi, good morning. Uh, and uh, you're, you're welcome back to the programme. It's, it's a pity it's such a tragic story we're talking about. So I suppose go back to Friday and just remind us how the story unfolded on Friday morning. Um, the emergency services received a call just after 5am on Friday morning that a, a child was injured uh, in an apartment complex off the Boring Manor Road. It's called Elderwood. Uh, when they arrived, they found uh, Sintina Cawley had sustained uh, horrific injuries and she was rushed to Cork University Hospital um, just after 5.30 uh, uh, but was pronounced dead uh, just before 10 o'clock later that morning. Um, medics did all they could to keep her alive but Santina, just being two years of age, uh, was so tender, so weak, and um, just couldn't, couldn't keep, ha- didn't have the energy to stay awake, as it were, and um, sadly passed away uh, with her mother by her bedside just before 10 o'clock that morning. Yeah, and she had been with her father, but her mother hadn't been with her in the apartment that night. That's right. There was, um, my understanding is that there was a, a party in the complex, in, in one, one of the apartments, and people were coming and going uh, from apartments. And um, then little Santina was found uh, just after 5 a.m. Um, I, I really have to be very careful what I say and who was where and who was Absolutely, wasn't where. absolutely, because um, the, so the, the investigation. To to the facts, really. Yeah, absolutely. Should, uh, you know. and, and family and neighbours, Paul, still reeling from this um, shocking story. And I know floral tributes are starting to pile up outside the complex. Yeah, I mean, I, I came from... The, I was there this morning. We were filming again this morning for, for our news. And um, there's a blanket of flowers. There's a bunch of cuddly teddy bears, little pink elephants, little pink dollies. 
uh, candles flickering in the wind. Uh, there was one little note. Uh, they all contain little messages like, sleep tight, my precious angel. Um, sleep tight, my darling. You're a sweetheart. Uh, rest in peace, my little angel. And there was one little scrap of paper torn from a copy book. And it just said, rest in peace, lots of love. Uh, Callum, some little boy had popped by. And, you know, you, he pro- I, I reckon looking from the writing, I, I, I have a little boy myself, it's called Callum, just in case people said it's his son, it's not. But yeah. it was, it's just a little boy who I reckon was seven or eight years of age and tore out a little piece of paper from, from a copy book and just wrote, um, wrote you know, rest in peace, Callum. It's, it's, it's shocking. And, it, and, and it's, it's, it, it kind of got a little bit... Um, Stained as well in the, the rain overnight. It's, it's so sad. But like like Friday, uh, Patricia, there was detectives still on the scene, and they were going in to the door of the complex to examine the, the the crime scene, as it were, again. And as they were doing so, directly to the left is another door which leads in to stepping stones. It's a creche and a preschool, and the owner of that preschool was standing there as the detective was walking into the complex and he, she was talking to a couple who had a little baby in, in a pram and that it was a little girl and I reckon she was no more than three years of age so I, I'm putting her down between two and three the same age as Anita Arsentina so while the guards were going in to investigate the, the death of Santina this couple were enrolling their little girl into the, the Stepping Stones preschool alongside the, the, the crime scene like life goes on for others, yeah. But at the other side, there was a family preparing to, you know, lay their little loved one to rest. And the actual apartment block, um, Elderwood, this Elderwood complex, uh, would there be a lot of young families living there? So a lot of children around. There are. It's, there's a lot of social housing there. There's some private apartments. There's duplex complex, uh, duplexes. Um, there's a lot of young families there. Um, I reckon I didn't see any kids down there over 13 or 14 years of age, being honest. Um, the, the, the area is, I'd say you're talking probably about 10 years old, the complex itself. Um, there's a couple of hundred apartments in there. And, um, you know, it's just off the Boring Manor Road. We said this on Friday. It's near Cork Constitution Rugby Club, near Parky Rings. There are red brick uh, apartments. There's balconies. And today, compared to Friday, there was, you know, the sun was shining on Friday and you had a big, large posse of guards outside, the, the reporters and people were standing out in their, their balconies watching what was going on. But today there was an eerie silence. There was just, you know, the odd car would pass, people were passing the apartment and they were looking at the flowers and uh, blessing themselves and um, they'd, they'd walk on and obviously whatever they were doing, their life continues. And um, But, you know, all the, the kids were still around. Um, you know, one or two started to emerge on the balconies after 10 o'clock but when I went down there first at nine o'clock this morning, there wasn't a single no person other than the one of the two guards going in and, and the couple are trying to enrol their kid in the crash. And the guard, the are continuing their investigation, as I said at the outset, and still appealing for anyone that they haven't spoken to who was in that area. That's right. Um, it was an officially upgraded to a murder investigation on Saturday morning. The guards announced that they had launched a murder investigation. And that, sorry, post-mortem. that was following the post mortem report. For, for, yeah, yeah. The, the post mortem was completed on Friday night, but um, as is the norm, they, they weren't uh, releasing the results for operational reasons. But our understanding is that the, the child, Santina, suffered horrific head injuries and multiple blows to the body. Um, you know, like just 
a, a boxer would not have been able to put up with some of the the injuries that she um, sustained. It's dreadful, dreadful. Um, okay, and Angus Street Guard, the station. Obviously, if anybody knows anything or has seen anything and hasn't spoken to the guard at this stage, that's right. Um, two cars were also seized late on Friday afternoon, and um, they are still appealing to anyone who may have been in the area between four p.m. on Thursday and six a.m. on Friday morning to come forward and um, as we speak the, the body remains at Cork University Hospital while the post-mortem has been completed um, they're, they're, the body hasn't been released to the family so funer- funeral arrangements have yet to be made There's no funeral arrangements yet yeah oh, and there's no and no arrests either it's important to point out there's no arrests being made yet Nobody no. has been arrested, no. but uh, I know Gardy are following lines of inquiry. Okay. All right, Paul. Uh, listen, thank you for that. Uh, we really appreciate you. you taking time to talk to us. Thanks for joining us. That is uh, Paul Byrne of Virgin Media News. And you'll hear more, I suppose, because he was filming at the scene this morning. So more uh, on his news bulletins uh, later on today. Uh, 1850-333-103. May she rest in peace, uh, little Santina. And, of course, we think of her, her, her family and what they must be going through and will go through in the coming week days and weeks and months and indeed years you wonder do you ever recover for something uh, like that okay just on uh, different topics coming in on the programme uh, today uh, Michael in Kildallery says how come that there is such a difference in diesel prices across Ireland he said he was in Athlone recently and you can get diesel for as low as 1 euro 20 uh, cent and similar prices in and around the Midlands yet when they come when as soon as you come to Cork uh, diesel is at the 140 mark and above in many places. It's all diesel at the end of the day. Why is it dearer south of the country? Should there be these variations in prices? And when others are travelling around, have you noticed such a variation in price? And it's one of the things that O'Connor Falkland of the AA is always telling us to shop around and be aware of the price. Every single garage, no matter where you are, whether you're buying diesel or petrol, whatever it is you're buying, they have to display, very clearly display how much the petrol and the diesel uh, is. And they're all prominently displayed on the four courts as you're passing so you should be aware but for many people particularly people who go to the one garage and are loyal to the one garage you may be unaware of what you're even paying for it because you just go to the one garage you fill up every week or you get your whatever it is your 30 euro your 50 euro worth and, and that's it and, and you drive away but if you want to box clever and save money you need to know how much you're paying for it and then keep an eye on various garages and if you're travelling and you're in and around the Midlands in Athlone and it is cheaper than buy your petrol or your diesel there 1850 somebody says to me when we're asking about rehoming of cats there's a cat uh, home in Crosshaven if that's of any use to Nula who's contacted us if I don't know I know she said she checked in a number of different cat channels and cat homes and nobody in a position at the moment to take the cats at stray cats and I'm assuming that she's trying to get uh, rehomed. And on Brexit God, we haven't mentioned Brexit in quite some time but it is very much all over the news again. Michael says Patricia hi I think what is far more deeply disturbing than Brexit is that the UK are at the point of electing a very right-wing populace as their leader. One who claims that he is going to be a unity figure, but has referred to Muslim women as letterboxes. A man who has talked about black people having a lower IQ than the rest of us. A man who has claimed that he, that he should be elected on the basis of his competence. And yet he is the person who spent £43 million on a vanity project for a bridge where not one single brick was laid. He commissioned 
commissioned some buses where the back doors did not work properly and they had to be scrapped. He commissioned water cannons when it was illegal to actually use them and he claims he has competence. Worst of all, of course, when he was Foreign Secretary his careless words, the man who was supposed to be the head of the UK's diplomatic services, ended up with a woman being locked up in Iran for longer than usual. He is absolutely not fit to be a Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, says Michael. Furthermore, the fact that he's going to be elected by 120,000 members of the Conservative Party, let's face it, it's not exactly a representative sample of the population of the UK. This whole Boris thing is a demonstration of the constitutional and national political outrage that is in the United Kingdom at this moment in time. His premiership will have far more consequences for Ireland than Brexit. Thanking you and that's from Michael and I think a lot of people will agree with you Michael and a lot of people worry about what the United Kingdom will look like with Boris Johnson as its uh, Prime Minister and I know the Minister for Foreign Affairs our own Simon Coveney is bringing three memos to Cabinet tomorrow dealing with various aspects of a no-deal Brexit. Sources briefed on their contents say there is a need to now shift preparations for a British crash out. We need to shift it in this country to a new gear as officials increasingly view a no deal exit as a likely outcome. Effectively officials will begin a countdown to a no deal exit which will take place in the absence of an agreement between the United Kingdom and the EU are them failing to get another extension. It means it would happen in 115 days from tomorrow. It is not very far away. And I would have to say hand on heart, my biggest worry about Boris Johnson becoming Prime Minister, and it is looking highly likely he will become Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, my biggest worry would be that that's exactly what will happen. He will crash out of the EU. He There will be a no-deal Brexit and really none of us know what the what what a no deal Brexit looks like, but it certainly will not be good news for the United Kingdom, and it certainly will not be good news for this country. So, well, it's 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 right that the government prepare for it. What they are going to prepare, God only knows. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. John Paul taking your calls, text, WhatsApp. Oh eight six two one zero three one zero three. C one zero three jobs. A full-time maintenance technician is wanted at that Reliance position in Bandon. While a skilled labourer is required for work in the Mitchellstown area, you must have experience in carpentry or steel erecting. A full-time play school assistant and a part-time after-school assistant all wanted for work in Timaleague. And classic windows in Columny. They are looking for experienced window fitters for their replacement, a new home uh, division. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. And by the way, we're getting a lot of calls in from people complaining about deer running around roadways, particularly at night. We've a calls in from the McCroom area, the Beira area, uh, with some people saying that they've had near misses and got a dreadful fright driving around and suddenly a deer appears out on the road to be uh, in front of you. And tomorrow, actually, we'll be hearing from one of our listeners who will be joining us with his story. He wrote off his car due to a deer jumping out in front of him. So please drive with care, especially at night. Now, last week, the Joint Iraqis Committee on Education and Skills launched three reports evaluating school costs, barriers to education and the use of reduced timetables. Bernardus have welcomed the reports and joining me to discuss the struggle facing many families with back to school costs is Susan Connolly, who is the CEO of Bernardus. Good morning to you, Suzanne. 
Good morning and thanks for having me on. Well, you're very welcome. Generic uniforms and gym gear should be introduced in schools according to these reports. It is hard to believe, Suzanne, that we are still having this discussion. Who is against introducing cheaper uniforms? Well, that's a very good question. And and as I understand it, I think it may be the schools themselves because I I think that that some schools are very committed to the idea of having uniforms which have their I, their crest attached to it and also that's linked to specific suppliers. I suppose it's, they would argue it's about identity and about tradition. And I think in Bernardus what we would say is that generic school uniforms are a real appropriate leveller for children across the country irrespective of their background or their parents' financial capacities. So we, are, we really would say that um, generic uniforms should be available at, at a relatively low cost for parents and there's no yeah. need for crest. Yeah but, and, if, and if a school is insisting on a crest I mean I remember when my young fellow was going to primary school they had a sew-on crest that we bought the first year he started in primary yeah. and yeah. then it came off the jumper and it went right throughout I think I replaced it once but you know what I mean you just it, 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 you just you sewed it back on to the next one well, actually, well, I mean, that, well, that's a very good idea. If it's something that 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 the the parents are happy to do, and it still gives the school for, I presume, what the school wants, which which wants, which is that sense of identity. So, I think that's a, that, that's a very good solution. But as I said, in Bernard's, our priority is is particularly the is particularly for parents who really do struggle, you know, with 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 the with the cost of their children going to school. And we know that in, for example, in in two thousand and ten, it cost um, parents about one hundred. Well, the back to school clothing and, the, and footwear allowance, which really is available for families who do struggle financially. What they would get then is they got 150 towards the cost of their... Um, Back to school. Yeah, of their school. Sorry, so that's what they're getting now. Yeah, and, uh, and 275 for uh, for secondary school. But actually, um, sorry, in 2010, it was 200 and it was um, 305. So we're asking that it would be restored um, back to um, back to the 2010-11. So yeah, it's, no, it's, lower, it's lower than what it was nearly 10 exactly. years ago. Yeah, and exactly. by God, exactly. the costs have shot up in those 10 years. Well, exactly, they have. And also, it's, I mean, I mean, I don't, I mean what, what, we would, what we heard in our, in our last survey, now we've just put out another survey a week or so ago, and we would really like if parents of children in primary and secondary would complete that survey, because obviously the information we get is based on what parents tell us. Mm. But we would know that in in our last survey, what what parents said it cost them. It's like for a child starting secondary school, it cost them seven hundred and ninety five euro. That's for one child. Money. That's for one child, and like, you imagine what's like to be more than one. And then for for a child in in junior infants, it was three sixty, and a child in fourth class, it was it was three seventy five. So that's a lot of money. And, and as you were saying, if you if you have more than one child, I mean, it's it's, it's an incredible outlay. And that's not to that, that's not even considering the 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 requirement in a lot of schools now for voluntary contributions as well. All of these, you know, facts and figures, and we hear them every year. And we certainly every radio station in the country will do interviews on back to school costs. We'll hear from parents uh, who will be telling us how much they've spent when yeah. it comes to getting Johnny or Mary out the door on the first of uh, of uh, September. It completely dispels the myth that we have free education, Suzanne, in this country. Uh, that's exactly the case, and and we think that free education should should be the government's priority. I mean, we know that in say in Finland, you've you've complete free education up to the for the first nine years of a child's time in school and we also know that they, that's a country which is the best educational outcomes for children so we think it's a really important um, investment the government will make not just for the children here and now but in, in, in the in the country's future because we know the better children do at school the better they can contribute even if you want to take that purely 
you know, pragmatic lens through which some people in the government may look at it. It's actually investing in Ireland's future, which which we think is really, really important. Would free books, free books for everyone be a, be a start and a help? I think that's really, really, really important and something that, that we think is, relatively speaking, quite doable because although it sounds like a lot of, mon- a lot of money, because we, we've estimated that that would cost about £20 million. In the context of the Department of Education's budget, which we understand is about £1 billion, it's quite a small amount. And again, we think that the, the value of that is it's something that's available for all children. So, so, the no, so, so, so that every child, again, is, is treated the same, which to, to us is really important um, because, because we know that some children... Um, I come from families where they can afford a lot more than other children but, but, but we would think that we just don't want a situation where children are singled out by, by virtue of not having enough money you know, or their parents not having enough money in other mm. words you know. and you mentioned voluntary contributions which we know I mean I don't think there's any school in the country that doesn't look for a voluntary contribution but isn't that down to the school not getting enough money through their capitation grant Exactly. That's exactly it. And and I, I mean, the good thing about about this committee's work is they they have acknowledged that, and it's something that they're very much recommending that that the capitation amount given by the Department of Education should be increased to the extent that schools don't need to ask for voluntary contributions. Because I mean, I even remember when I was a child. I mean, and, and I was a situation where actually my parents really struggled financially in terms, and it was, and it was really hard for us because the school used to. I know that's a long time ago, but the school would come through the children. And I know that happens in some schools. It doesn't happen in all schools, to be no. fair. But I still think it's it's something that 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 is really it's really tough on parents who can't afford it, you know. And I and maybe even parents who can't afford it feel that it's not appropriate given how much that they they contribute in other ways to to the general exchequer. But again, I mean, our priority is just make it free for all children. It's an investment not only in them but also in in, in Ireland's future. Yeah, and I know when the voluntary contribution comes up, and I would have spoken to parents, you know, over the years, and you know, we would be emphasising it is voluntary. If you can't afford it, speak to the school because schools tell us that that if the parent can't afford it, talk to us, you know, and it's it's okay. But we would hear from parents who want their child to be the same as every other child in the class and they don't want their child to feel that they're different or they stand out in some way because that's mummy exactly. and daddy hasn't paid the voluntary contribution. Exactly. Yeah. That's the case. And actually, funny, I was talking to somebody about this recently and one of the things they explained to me, which is something I hadn't even thought about, is that is that parent who, who, who could be talking to somebody in the school could well be talking to somebody that, that they know or they knew in their own childhood, you know, who's now working at school. And they may not particularly want to let the adults in that school know they can't afford it. Well, you, no. know? Yeah, yeah. you know, so so maybe sometimes we, we, we forget what this is like for, at an emotional level. And and I just think that 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 contributions should not be something that that that's required of, of parents. Because in fact the whole world the whole word voluntary contributions is a bit of a misnomer. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know. Absolutely. I, and uh, Suzanne, would you hear from families who end up turning to money lenders to cover the cost of going yeah, back to school? Unfortunately, yes, yeah, that's, that's the case in Bernardo's. And um, I mean, that's why we really recommend, not, we, we really recommend, the recommendation of the committee is to, to ask the credit unions to look at ways in which they can make um, in the you know in the short term loans available to parents in a way that, that, that they don't have to go to money lenders because I mean I'm, I'm not just talking here about school costs now because because parents who who struggle may may need may need money available in a way they can't get it through the normal means so if if there is some way in which um, credit unions which which are non profit making could support parents who do have financial challenges that would be great but ultimately of course our aim is that, is that, is that there's free education for all so parents don't have to resort to to money lenders in order to ensure that their child is well equipped for school. 
Okay, uh, Suzanne, we leave it there. No doubt we'll speak again when your report on the actual cost of going back to school for this year is out. But in the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much. Uh, Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is Suzanne Connolly, who is with Bernardo's. She is their chief executive officer. Aoife in Mallow says, we're always hearing about free education in this uh, country, but I have given so much over the last year on school books, money for sports day, money for photocopying, money for uniforms, money for school repairs, voluntary contributions. I would rather pay for education and do away with all these payments that seem to come around every few months. At least if I had a one-off payment at the start of the year to cover the cost for the whole year and then parents could uh, budget. It doesn't end. Actually, that's an interesting uh, point. It doesn't end when the child goes back into school. We have a tendency to focus on back-to-school costs at this time of the year and how much everybody is paying out. And then it gets to September and the child, the children go into school and we think that's it. But there's it's the ongoing. There are other costs during the year. Again, I'll go back to the school will say not our fault. We don't get enough on a capitation grant and the capitation grant is how much the department pays for every child per head of child that's in the school. So it depends. Bigger the schools, obviously, the more money they get. But there's a, there is a huge discrepancy by, by how much is paid out to secondary school versus how much is paid out to primary school and that's been a bugbear between the primary and the secondary school for quite some time. I mean, I would have spoken over the years to principals who would say, you know, in sixth class a child will get so much for the capitation grant and yet they'll go across the road to the secondary school and they'll get the secondary school will get so much more for them in a couple of months when they leave one school and you know the capitation grant should be the same that they both pay the same electricity bills they both pay the same insurance costs they both the schools you know pay all of the other costs that go with running a school so when the schools are looking for all this money from parents they say they've no other choice they're not doing it to make a profit they're not doing it because they're in business they're doing it literally to keep the front doors of the school open the lights on and the heating going but because families many families are struggling they are finding it really really uh, difficult and actually there was a text in it came in earlier from Dennis, who we spoke with the other day. Oh, here it is from the Act of Kindness page. Now, firstly, we spoke to Dennis the other day because he was on to us. He lives in Mallow and for I don't know how many times it was, he has a phone line that runs across the road and every now and again trucks, high trucks, don't realise that the telephone wire is there. Pull the telephone wire, wire down and Dennis then is without phone and along with some of his neighbours he's in the Davis Terrace area of Mallow and he was back on with us late last week because it had happened again and he was asking if we could do anything so we got on to air. Anyway, he sent a text back this morning just to say that the line was back up and running with, within 24 hours and he thinks it was our intervention. We would like to think it's just good customer care on behalf of uh, air, Aircom and hopefully it was but anyway, it's back up and running. But I mentioned to him when he was on air that day that he is one of the administrators for the Active Kindness page in Mallow, which is one of these great Facebook pages where people literally does exactly what it says on the tin. Active Kindness. If somebody has something, you know, that they no longer use, they can give it into the Active Kindness page, put it up on the Facebook page. And if somebody's in need of it, they can get it. And then families that are in need can also put a request in if somebody's in need of something. And, and it works really well. And there's various pages like it all over the country but there's the, the one in Mallow I know works particularly well and he just wants me because he knew we were talking about the cost of back to school back to school costs 
today just to mention that they have a special thread on the Act of Kindness page, the Facebook page in Mallow, where members can post free second-hand books and uniforms from all of the local schools. And he's, Dennis says in his, in his text this morning, it may help families. So please have a look as it gets updated daily as they get kind donations from uh, members. Uh, so if there's anybody out there who has a child going to a school in Mallow, make sure you check out the Act of Kindness page or if you have a uniform or school books that you're no longer using for any of the schools in Mallow would you get on to them please if you're willing to uh, pass them on and Dennis just wants to take the opportunity uh, to thank all of the members for their continued uh, support Uh, so well done to everybody involved and the administrators they put in a lot of work in all of those various active kindness uh, pages they do a lot of work behind the scenes so well done to uh, everyone and on an act of kindness somebody found a set of keys they were found on the ground after the dance at the Mushra platform yesterday so somebody out dancing yesterday did so much dancing they left their keys behind and Rita who is the chairperson of the Mushra platform committee is looking after the set of keys so if you were out at the mushroom platform yesterday and you lost keys or you heard of somebody today saying they've lost keys where could they have lost them that's where they are 086 as part of the Skibbereen Arts Festival, Wombat Media, a Cork-based production uh, company, will be launching a virtual reality documentary set on Cape Clear. Marketing manager with Wombat Media is Kira Buckley, who joins me. Good morning, Shakira. Good morning, Patricia. Thanks uh, for having me. Well, you're very welcome. Now, this virtual reality documentary, I believe, is the first of its kind. Describe it to me, please. Yeah, so really what a virtual reality documentary is, as opposed to traditional documentaries, you're seeing absolutely everything um, around you. So you're seeing in front of you, below you, above you and behind you. So in the production phase, we use the 360 camera, which records full full 360 vision. Um, so for the documentary and exhibition, we're going to be using VR headsets. So you put on the VR headset and you'll be going on a journey out to Cape Clear. How fantastic. When did you film? We filmed just a couple of weeks ago, actually, and we were very lucky with beautiful weather out in Cape, so it'll, it'll be a nice treat for everyone to come along to. And it, it tells, this, does it tell a bit of the history of...? There is, absolutely. So initially, when you get on the ferry, we actually went on the ferry from Skull this time, and okay. um, so it's a, it's a newer ferry, so it's a quick journey, and Neva Driscoll, the, the uh, skipper there, tells you a little bit about the history of the ferry service and, and the fantastic service that Cape Clear ferries are providing to the island. Um, and then when you when you get onto the island, you'll meet a couple of different guides. Um, so one of the guides would be Dermot O'Driscoll. He'd be a well-known historian here Absolutely. in Cork. And uh, so he takes you to a couple of sites, um, one being the Marge Stones. So he gives you a little bit of history about the Marge Stones. Another guide we meet is uh, Trina Trina Leonard, who runs the B&B out there, and she really talks about the importance of the history um, of Irish on the language, and it is a Gaeltuk. So we are actually going to be um, doing a lot of it will be in Irish, um, with, with subtitles and a voiceover as well. Um, another another guide you'll meet is Michal John Cadigan, who has been a fisherman, and he's now very involved in the bird watching um, side of things on the island, which is... You know, Cape Clear is really up and coming with... Um, for bird watchers. Absolutely. Yeah, we were actually yeah. out there last year um, doing a bit of research for the project and we stumbled upon the first sighting of a VRE trush in Ireland. Oh. 
to the North American birds. We made a little video for that when, when we were out there. And it was Mary Cadigan, who's the local bus driver there, who spotted that, spotted the birds. So um, so that's, that's kind of a rough guide. And then uh, how, actually, long is, how long is the documentary? It'll be about five to seven minutes. It's quite okay. short. It, it's really a pilot. We, we, um, we were very lucky got some funding from the Cork County Council through a Creative Ireland grant scheme, which is a heritage scheme, to make a pilot. And look, the aim is to, to hopefully make, make more of these all along the Wild Atlantic Way. It's terrific. I mean, from yeah. a tourism point of view, this is just magic. Yeah. Because, the I mean, I, I certainly, even listening to you the way you describe it, you will look at something like this with the, the VR headset. It would yeah. then make you want to go to experience it. Absolutely. And that, that's that's why we're making it. We want to encourage people to get out there, to get out and see Cape Clear in all its glory. It's, it is such a wonderful place and especially on the day the days that we were filming, you know, it really it really brings the place to life. Um, another highlight of the trip is um a trip around the Fastnet Rock. So we got to circle the Fastnet twice. The Cape Clear's ferry run run the service during the summer on Thursdays and Sundays and you get to go out around the Fastnet which is which is really such an iconic um, symbol for West Cork, you know. So it's 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 a really nice treat on the day, and and the weather, as I said, was beautiful. So we're very lucky. Unfortunately, we didn't get to see any whales ah. or dolphins, but there are some seals along the way. But they, when you're wearing the virtual reality headset, does yeah. I mean, does it really give you the feeling like you're on the boat? Oh, it absolutely does. Yeah. It's funny when when we were out on Cape and. We gave a few of the locals a go of one of the headsets, yeah. and people did say they kind of felt a little bit, um, a little bit sea seasickness. <laughs> so bring your sea legs when you're coming to the launch down at the Skibbereen Arts Festival. All right, give us the de- <laughs> give us the details first of the launch. Yeah. So the launch is at the Skibbereen Arts Festival in the tourist office in Skibbereen at one p.m. Okay. And we'll be having the headsets there until four p.m. So plenty of opportunity to to give it a go. Um, then the other the other um, exhibition is during the Heritage Week this year, which is between the 20th and the 24th of August, will be in the Skibreen Libraries for the full week there from okay. midday until 5.30 every day okay. of the Heritage Week. All right, that's in, and we'll remind us of that clo- uh, close to the date and it's called uh, A Trip to Cape Clear. Any plans to take it out and show it in Cape Clear? Absolutely. We're, we're just still waiting on a date for the museum. And we're going to be we'll, we'll have an exhibition in the museum, and our our hope is to leave actually one of the headsets with the museum, so people can come at any time. Ah, oh, that'd be terrific. That yeah, would be terrific. Yeah. And then the long term goal would be you would be making these documentaries, these virtual reality documentaries from all over. Absolutely, that's that's the real aim, and to get to get some of the councils behind what we're doing, really, and you know, it's really to encourage people to get out to the islands, or you know what, in case somebody isn't able to travel out to the islands, let's let let them have an opportunity to see what it really feels like, in, as opposed to getting out there. You know, if somebody is disabled, if they're not able to get out there, it's, you know, it's it's a shame. This is the way that they can experience it. Exactly. Um, how long is your production company up and running, Wombat Media? Yeah. We're a new business. We started last year. I'm okay. from I'm from West Cork, um, but I was living out in Australia for about four and a half years. And I met I met a lovely documentary filmmaker out there, and I brought him home. And we decided to set up the company in Cork. And um, no, it's been going really well. Really loving it. There's a great um, business community in Cork as well, which has been very supportive to what we're doing. And so, hence, hence the name Wombat. 
Exactly. That's that's the story behind the name on that. Yeah, we were living in, in the outback working on documentaries in Alice Springs, what? working with Aboriginal people out in Alice Springs. So, yeah, it's it's a bit a bit different to, to Central Australia and Cork. But and have uh, and have you is that where you got the idea for the virtual reality documentaries? You know, it actually is. Um, after we were living in Alice Springs, we moved down to Melbourne and we saw a sort of a similar documentary when we were living in Melbourne and it was actually based in the outback. And I suppose I was missing Central Australia at the time, living in a big city in Melbourne. It was, you know, I was really missing Central Australia and we saw a quite quite a similar documentary. And, it, you know, it felt like I was back there, you know, it really did, as opposed to having to spend a fortune to fly up to Alice Springs, I could take a look yeah. at a headset and feel like I was there you know it really is an immersive experience and I mean I've, I've even shown people like my father who's never you know he's not he's not in, interested in new technology he, he's almost afraid of new technology but he he put on the headset recently um, after we did some of the filming and he really felt like he, he was on the boat out to Cape Clear you know it's, it's, it's a very unique way of telling a story it's fantastic um, it's it 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 really is fantastic. And when you say you brought the documentary maker back with you, do do I take it there's a romantic connection? He didn't just oh there is yeah no he <laughs> didn't did just bring him back for business purposes. <laughs> no. No, no no okay. No, no. Uh, and was it was it an easy sell to get him to come come back to Cork with you? Uh-huh. You know what? We actually moved to Dublin initially. Uh, I was working up in Dublin for over a year, and he he actually wanted to come back to Cork. Because he loves, he loves Cork. He loves the people. Uh, yeah, you, you couldn't be, you couldn't be living in Dublin. No, God, no, no. no, no. no. Yeah. And and do you miss Australia? I I do. I miss I miss Central Australia. I miss the vast open spaces, and you know the people are lovely in Australia as well. But I'm sure we we went back already now this year, and we'll I'm sure we'll be going back on trips here and there. And if Dave is listening, now, he'll be saying we'll be going back to live for a few years, Kira. <laughs> we'll <laughs> see. But, Co- but Cork is home at the moment. It is, it is. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a West Cork woman and I, I love it. So. Well, well done, yeah, well, well, well done. And, and, and your junior bit to show off how wonderful the the area is. Absolutely. OK, people are saying, can you give us those dates again? We yeah, can. Absolutely. This is yeah. the, the Skibbering Arts Festival for people to actually get to see uh, with the virtual reality headsets that's uh, on. It's that's the bank holiday weekend, is it? It is. It's yeah. the bank holiday weekend. Yeah, there's lots of great things happening for the Skibbering Arts Festival this year if you want to check out the program. It's, it's a brilliant lineup this year. dot com, yeah. but this is the uh, the Island Ferries Tales, and it will be in the uh, Saturday in the Arts Festival between one and four, and then at the Skibbereen Library. But that's not until August twenty fourth to uh, the twenty to the twenty fourth. We'll remind you of that closer to that in um, August. Listen, fantastic idea. Fantastic oh, idea! You, best really of best it. of luck with it, and we look forward to seeing many, many more of your virtual yeah. reality documentaries. Yeah. It's been a pleasure to talk to you, Kira. Thank you, you for that. Too, bye, 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 bye. That is uh, Kira Buckley joining us from Wombat at Media. We've got to go to the newsroom at twelve midday today, letting you know that in the next hour we have two pairs of tickets to give away to get you to see The Odd Couple which is going to be running in the Everyman this summer. It opens on July 16th and runs through until August the 17th. The Odd Couple, you're invited to meet laid-back Olive and highly strong Florence when a surprise breakup makes them unlikely roommates. They join with their gal 
pals and flirty neighbours to deliver a fast-paced and wickedly funny caper. This is an award-winning, it's Tony Award, written by Tony Award-winning um, writer Neil uh, Simon and the Odd Couple. We have pairs of tickets to give away for Wednesday the 17th of July and we'll be giving them away uh, two pairs every day this week. And how are we giving them away? I In the next hour, I will call out three couples. One of them will be an odd couple in that they're not meant to be together. And you've got to work out which is the odd couple. And we will let you know whether you can call us, ring us, call us or text us uh, in the next hour. So stick around for that for your chance to win a pair of tickets to the odd couple at the Everyman Friday. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Um, July 16th to August 17th. It's running for a full month. Get your nutritional questions into us, please, because Annalise Drussell, a nutritional therapist, will join us in the next hour. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Now, competition time, because this summer, the Everyman are presenting the odd couple from Tony Award winner Neil Simon. It runs from July 16th through to August 17th. And they've very kindly given us a bunch of tickets to give away to Wednesday, the 17th of July. And we have two pairs of tickets to give away every day this week. Monday through to Friday but on Friday we're doubling up because it's Friday we're going to throw in a bottle of bubbly as well but Monday through to Thursday two winners each day winning a pair of tickets to go along to the odd couple on Wednesday uh, July 17th now we have three couples and one of them is the odd couple in that they're not meant to be together you've got to guess which one is the odd couple couple and calls to 1850 and we will take caller 9 and caller 10. Now the three couples today, Bert and Ernie Richard and Helen, Harry and Megan. Who's the odd one out? One of them is an odd couple so Bert and Ernie Richard and Helen, Harry and Megan. 
Call a nine, call a ten to eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. Wins a pair of tickets to go along to see the odd couple, which is described as a fast-paced and wickedly funny at Cape You'll have a fun, fun night out. I guarantee you that at the odd couple. So Bert and Ernie, Richard and Helen, Harry and Megan which is the Odd Couple. Call John Paul, please, for your chance to win a pair of tickets to the Odd Couple, thanks to our good friends at The Everyman. 1850-333-103. We'll leave John Paul away answering the phones there on that. And let me go to some of your calls coming in. We were talking about insurance once again and insurance reform. And Peter Boland joins us from the Alliance of Insurance Reform I and mean, desperately trying to fight on behalf of all of us that pay insurances, but also businesses. And he's been at the cold face of dealing with businesses who, through fraudulent cases and exaggerated cases, has, have seen businesses closed. We've seen community groups not being able to run festivals anymore and just because they can't afford the cost of the insurance and as soon as the claim goes in even if it's a fraudulent claim even if it's an exaggerated claim then that business will see their premium sky go sky high. Colm says there was a programme over the weekend on insurance and they made out that there is massive profits within the insurance industry. Actually I'll stop you there Colm because last week they, they showed the profits that there was, they were giving the profits all of the main insurance companies in this company country have made big profits. Uh, anyway, uh, Colm says, so anyone who thinks that when the claim issue is sorted out in that we stop paying out high claims for very minor injuries, if anybody thinks that that's going to see a reduction in our premiums, then you'll be very wrong as insurance companies at the end of the day are out to make profits. We hear of claims whereby a private investigator would act for the insurance company and then name the name and shame the person if there were, if what they were doing They were claiming to be false. However, those in the investigations, such as the lawyers, the doctors, etc., they will all make money from this case regardless. Colm reckons the professional fees need to be looked at and until they're looked at, premiums will never come down. You've got a point. Yeah, I mean, I think when you look at insurance, there's so many different aspects to insurance and the reason that it's so high. You are right, the professional costs for the lawyers and the barristers when it comes to litigation, a lot of money to be made there. Uh, That certainly has to be looked at. You're right about the claims in the book of quantum and how much we pay out in this country because if you just look at our nearest neighbours across the water in the United Kingdom, they pay out a fraction of what we pay out. One of the the ones that constantly gets brought up is soft tissue whiplash and we I think it's only three times the amount we will pay out for a whiplash in this country that they pay out in the United Kingdom I mean something is wrong there so we do need to look we certainly do need to look at that but we also need to look at the fraudulent cases that's why the guard the fraud squad that we spoke about this morning is so important and we also need to look at exaggerated cases and when we speak of exaggerated cases straight away we had some calls and texts in about the Fine Gael TD Maria Bailey saying uh, what's happening with Maria Bailey and is she going to hang on to her job as a TD well yeah I mean the only people that can decide whether she's going to be a TD or not is when she next runs in a general election but I do read in the papers today that she could lose her role as the chairperson of the housing committee it seems Leo Varadkar the Taoiseach we know he's received the independent report on the issue into Swingate he's due to meet with Maria Bailey again this week and then he will reveal 
what sanctions he will take against her. Now, do we assume that we will find out that he will go public on the sanctions because we know he is not going public with the report. That's not the general public. We're not going to get to hear what was in that independent report. Leo Varadkar says the option of taking the party whip away from the Dundee TD would see her temporarily suspended from the Fine Gael uh, party or should I say he didn't say that he has the option to do that but political commentators are saying it is unlikely that he will take that course of uh, action. Elaine Lachlan is the political correspondent with the uh, uh, the examiner she's with the examiner I'm just I don't know why I've got a photocopy of, of a paper in front of me but I'm sure it's the examiner and uh, she says she reckons that instead Fine Gael sources are saying that Leo Varadkar is more what he will do he will more than likely remove the chair of the Oireachtas Housing Committee because that's seen as, as a position of privilege so that would be seen as a sanction now there are people including members of her own party who say that regardless of any sanction Maria Bailey has suffered enough. She's paid a significant political price for initiating these legal action against the Dean Hotel where she fell off the swing and we know she's withdrawn it. Where people are saying she has suffered enough. I know she's had huge abuse online and one wonders, doesn't one, about her political future when she does decide to run again. Now, you you, you don't know what's going to happen but certainly she has been damaged uh, politically and is that enough of a sanction for her? But the, Gov- the Taoiseach will not be publishing the report. I know lots of people would like to see the report but the main reason for it was a lot of the people that were interviewed spoke on the basis that it would remain private and for that reason the Taoiseach says his hands are tight he can't actually publish uh, the report and can I just say when when I mentioned the fact that she that Maria Bailey received a lot of abuse online when this whole swing gate case uh, came out another man and I didn't like it at the weekend who, who received an awful lot of abuse was the former Taoiseach of this country, Brian Cowan. And whether you like him or you love him or you hate him or you have no real opinion of him at all, the man is very unwell and he is in hospital with what has been described as a very serious illness. And he's been surrounded by his wife and children and close family members and the Cohen family should be left alone and they should be, all the focus should be on Brian Cowan's recovery. And instead at the weekend there was some of the most disgusting commentary online and vile commentary online about Brian Cowan. And it was just it was shameful. It was shameful. I was just hoping that whoever the family have around them that they've got a circle around them that they could keep them away from it and that they never get to see it because it was just shocking uh, to the core and there's just it has to stop we have to do something about social media and I was reading one of the one commentator was making the point that uh, social media uh, it can be like a, a cesspit pit it's an easy outlet for those with little to say in the real world and they, they can feel keyboard warriors they feel they can say what they like and at the end of the day they're bullies there's no other word for it they, they are bullies and they're the worst form of bullies because they're doing it in the privacy of their bedroom or at home or 
you know, in their car when they're not actually facing the person. It's just, it, it was uh, shocking. So can I just extend uh, my best wishes to Brian, Brian Cowan and to his family. We hope that he makes a full uh, recovery and his wife, Mary, and they have two daughters, uh, Sinead and uh, Maeve. And uh, we wish him all the best, uh, regardless of what your political persuasion, regardless of what political party you support. At the end of the day, this is a husband and a father and a brother and an uncle and a friend who is very unwell at the moment and does not, regardless of what he did in his political life does not deserve that kind of abuse and shame, shame on the people that put up that stuff online and also the social media companies they need, I don't, I don't know how, how do we ever get this to stop? How do we get the social media platforms to tackle this kind of online abuse? Because that's what it is. It is abuse. 1850 333 103. John Paul taking your calls and or we can stop calling us on our odd couple. We have our winners. Congratulations to Liz O'Driscoll in Ballonine and Mary Duggan in Longueville in Mallow who correctly identified that Richard and Helen were the odd couple because it should have been Richard and Judy. Uh, well done. And they've each won a pair of tickets to go along to the odd couple. We'll do it all again. Same kind of a format uh, every day this week. We will read out three of the couples and one will be an odd couple. And you just have to work out which is the wrong one. But well done. Liz O'Driscoll of Ballonine and Mary Duggan, Longueville in Mallow, heading off to the Opera House to see the odd couple on Wednesday, the 17th of July. Your chance to win tomorrow. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. Doris Craft Market is held every Monday in July and August. So it's on again today as we speak. It's on in Philip Green's in Doris and it's there until three o'clock this afternoon. A gala fundraising social dance in aid of Marymount Hospice will be held in the Fergrove Hotel in Mitchellstown. It's on tonight. Dancing is to Pat Costello and Dermot Lyons with guests Mona and the Bachelors in trouble. Admission is 10 euro and dancing starts at half past eight tonight. The opening parade of the European Equestrian Mounted Games will be held in Mill Street Town. It's on tonight at seven o'clock and the opening ceremony will be held in the square afterwards. 16 countries, European countries are taking part. Pipe Band will lead the parade and a social evening will follow. All are very welcome to Mill Street this evening. The Brosna Music Weekend in aid of the Church Restoration Fund will be held this Friday and Saturday. Now, dancing to Derek Ryan and Shauna on Friday night. And then the Irish dancer David Greeny brings his Broadway show Velocity to Brosna on Saturday night, supported by the local trad band No Strings Attached. Tickets for both nights are on sale locally and at the door. More information 087 9286969. And just on the whole social media thing when I mentioned about the, the vile and disgusting comments about Brian Cowan that went up at the weekend. Uh, the man is very unwell. Somebody says, Patricia, you're asking, uh, we need to do something about uh, social media and how do we get the social media platforms 
to tackle online abuse. Uh, Jennifer said, simple answer, don't use it. I never did and I've never been tempted myself, says uh, Jennifer. So it's one way of it stopping uh, for sure. And Margaret, actually, thank you, Margaret, for this. Margaret, in... Um, when I was talking about Brian Cowan and I was saying that my when because when I saw some of the comments I just it, I, it angered me I have to say I was really really angered at the weekend by it and I was just hoping that his wife Mary and that the daughters and the rest of the family I was just hoping you know they're, they're, you know that they're in the hospital with Brian and you know wishing them all the best as you would be when a very close family member is seriously ill you, I was just hoping that they wouldn't get to see anything that's uh, going on on social media they wouldn't uh, be hearing about it well uh, Margaret in Caractool was speaking to Brian Cowan's sister-in-law last night she's obviously uh, a friend and she said that the family were very upset and the family were aware Oh, goodness, of what has been posted on social media. Margaret said, I don't use Facebook or Twitter, but I do understand what the Cowans are going through and it's awful. Uh, the family are aware of what's been said and they're truly upset by it because at the end of the day, he is a very unwell man. For God's sake, Margaret says, can people just leave him alone? She said, I'm devastated today to think we are living in this type of country that people are able to say these uh, type of uh, things. And, you know, we can all thank you for that, uh, Margaret, and to send on our best wishes if you're speaking to his sister-in-law again and tell him that everybody involved in social media and, and people online, there was a lot of lovely comment, commentary in as well and people deliberately focusing on people that were saying vile things and asking them to, to, to stop. You know, I mean, goodness can come out as well uh, from people. And I know people were hurt and people lost out and we had the whole banking crisis, you know, and, and everything that went on in this country when Brian Cowan took over, you know, things went wrong and things didn't go according to plan. But nobody goes into politics with the express intention of deliberately getting it wrong. They go there believing they can make uh, a difference, except I'm straight away thinking of, I don't know if I can say that about Boris Johnson, but that's probably the wrong thing to say. But anyway, but you know the point I'm making? People go into politics because they think they can make a difference, because they want to do good, you know, initially for their local community and then eventually for for the overall country when you get to that level that they're uh, at. And while we all mightn't agree with somebody's policies and we mightn't agree with a piece of legislation that's brought in because it just mightn't suit us. At the end of the day, I go back to he's a human being and he is a family man and he is retired from politics and he's led it is a very quiet life. You would rarely see him at events unlike say Bertie O'Hearn. Bertie O'Hearn has a very public persona since he retired from politics but the same can't be said of Brian Cowan and, and to me that's because he was so devastated at everything that had happened under his watch even though as I say he went in there to do his best but it's just it's just I just think it's wrong it's just wrong the way he's been uh, targeted John in Blackpool says whatever Brian Cowan did professionally or what went on at the time in Ireland. That is his business life. His personal life is separate and whatever people think, no one should target him in the way that he's been targeted at the moment, especially when he's so ill. I would not agree with what happened at the time and how the government acted, but I would never wish bad when a person is ill. What kind of a society are we now living in? 
uh, Con Informoy said something needs to be done about the, the Facebook and social media platforms. They're causing too much hurt and misery. They're doing more harm in society than good says Khan and Tom Informoy says he didn't break Europe all of Europe went down at the same time those giving out online if they think they are so good why didn't they why didn't they get up and do something about it why don't they become uh, politicians but you see they're your keyboard warriors or they're not they're the very brave men and women who feel they can say anything because they're doing it you know in the privacy of their own house or in their own business or wherever they are they're all very brave when they're behind a keyboard but they would be the very ones if you stood in front of them and asked them to articulate the point or argue the points they probably couldn't put uh, two words together. 1850 on the survey that's out the league table on hospitals that we mentioned earlier that certainly wasn't good news for Bantry Hospital. Heidi says good morning Patricia and hearing the news of the hospital rates when it comes to heart attack and stroke and survival rates and Bantry has come out as having the highest death rates in the country for people who present with a heart attack or a stroke. Stroke. Well, we have to look at what Bantry Hospital has compared to other Cork hospitals. Bantry, for example, has no A and E facilities. Uh, this, you know, was taken away from that, that from this hospital. It's time it was brought back, as many many people rely on the hospital. And and you're right. And you've got to also uh, remember that there's a multitude of factors would have influenced the death rate figures, like including how soon the, the the patient made it past the hospital threshold, how quickly did the patient seek medical help, what sort of pre-hospital care di- did they get, what's the overall, what's their overall state of uh, health, also what kind of expertise was available to treat them at the hospital, were some hospitals transferring the worst cases. There's so much more, more to it. And the report itself cautions that there are many reasons for the differences and it can't be concluded that a high mortality rate is in any way indicative of poorer quality care. The report actually uh, states that but it's just it's sort of one of those reports and to see Bantry at the top end of it it just because we hear nothing but glowing reports, I have to say, when uh, people talk about when they when they when they are in Bantry Hospital for whatever reason or have a family member uh, in there. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. Can you keep your nutritional questions coming, please? Because Annalise Drissel will be joining us in uh, this hour. Ballon Rustic Vintage Club. I've been asked to mention are holding their annual field day next Sunday, fourteenth of July. It's a great day for all the family, and they're raising money for Marymount and Middleton hospitals so two great causes and that comes in from John we spoke about generic uniforms and the cost of going back to school and what do we do about the cost of going back to school and it just seems to be one of those things that gets higher and higher every year and while the costs are getting higher certainly the back to school school clothing and footwear allowance actually it was interesting when uh, Suzanne from Bernardo's pointed it out it's actually what Struggling families, and it's a means-tested payment, so it's only struggling families will get the back-to-school clothing and footwear allowance. They are receiving less today in 2019 than they did in 2010. 2010 would have been the highest figure that was being paid out for back-to-school clothing and footwear allowance. We know what happened to the country since. And of course, there was decreases in various social welfare payments and one of the decreases included the back-to-school clothing and footwear allowance. And it has never got back up to the figure that it was at back in 2010. So nearly 10 years ago, the back to school clothing and footwear allowance was higher then than what it is today. And the costs certainly are way higher. If you look at 
be interesting if I can try and track down because you know every year the Bernardos bring out the back to school costs they do a survey be interesting if I can try and find this afternoon how much it costs to send a child to school in 2010 hold on to it until the figures are out for 2019 and compare the figure is definitely going to be higher in 2019 yet the allowance that's given to families who can't afford the costs is actually uh, less. Uh, what, and this is on generic uniforms and why we don't have generic u- uniforms. Texter says, what are the parents associations doing that they don't insist on generic uniforms in all schools they would want to cop on? And that listener has a point. Parents associations, if you've got a strong parents association, that parents association will have a, two representatives on the board of management when decisions are being made and then collectively as an association they can go to the board uh, as well and maybe get you know petitions started inside in the school and the school would have to listen to them but it depends on how strong your parents association is some parents association do fantastic work other schools struggle to even get a parents association off the ground and sometimes if they can't get a parents association off the, off the ground it's normally might be the principal or the teachers will encourage some parents maybe parents they know uh, to get involved and if they're parents they know maybe they will be agreeing with having the more expensive uniforms because they themselves can afford them so that's why it's important that you turn up at all of those parents association meetings and when they're looking for volunteers to get involved put your hand up nobody wants to do it but if more people get involved that's how change that's how change will happen and that listener is right parents associations do have a role to play if your child is in a school where you feel the uniform is too expensive maybe if you know I don't know time wise you can't get involved but maybe get on to the parents association and share your concerns with them now can I give a mention to a note that was on my desk this morning now it's dated last Saturday so it was obviously dropped to the radio station on Saturday and it isn't named specifically the card isn't named specifically for me it's a kind of a general note and a card that was written for anybody here in the radio station to pick it up and to call it out on air so I don't know if anyone any of the Saturday presenters saw the card and actually read it out but just in case they didn't I decided I'll give it a read out because it's a lovely little message in it from a I'm assuming a young lady by the name of Michelle Cannon Quinn who says as I leave all my family friends and home comforts behind to journey to the unknown away from everything I am familiar with to help people less fortunate than myself I want to give a huge thank you to all of those who supported me to fundraise and collect over four thousand euro in total which will be put to good use I'll also be planting fruit trees there with some of the funds where which I can name and one will represent Kilavullen my home parish thanks again to all who gave contributions of their money and time I was so overwhelmed with people's generosity India here I come. Thanks once again. And that's signed Michelle Cannon Quinn. Because I was reading down through it saying, where, where does she end up? Where is she going planting the trees? It's just the very last line. India, here I come. Now, I don't know if she's going to work. Is she going to Calcutta? Is she working with Mother Teresa's three children, I wonder? I don't know who she's actually gone uh, with. but And I don't know if she's left or not. If she has and any of her family are listening, will you wish her the very, very best of luck? And if she hasn't left our shores yet and she's on the way uh, to journey, journeying, journeying to India, we wish you love and luck. And it's a lovely 
beautifully written written little note and I was only too glad to give it a mention and thank you to anybody who helped out in any way Michelle Cannon Quinn on her trip to uh, India and I have a feeling it's going to be life changing for you because nothing prepares you for the poverty that you're going to witness uh, in India so good luck with it good luck with it safe travels and safe travels home can you get your questions in please for Annalise 1850 we're going to take a break and Annalise from the Health Hub Time is in Balancolic will join us after these. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. And just on a breaking a news story, a woman in her 30s has been arrested as Guardian Cork continue their investigation into the death of the little two-year-old in Cork last Friday. And uh, we will have more on that story in our news at, at one o'clock. 1850 John Paul taking your calls. Questions, please, for Annalise Drussell of the Health Hub Times Square in Ballancolic. Good afternoon to you, Annalise. Good afternoon. And, and you are very welcome. OK, lots of questions as always in for you. Let's kick it off with a Douglas listener who says, I am on aspirin and on a statin. Did Annalise once say, I shouldn't be eating licorice all sorts? Or did I just imagine it? Um, no, I think probably where that might be coming from is we've talked about licorice before and licorice can increase your blood pressure. So anybody with uncontrolled blood pressure um, should not eat licorice. Or if people notice that they're starting to get a bit headachey and they're eating a lot of licorice all sorts, maybe their blood pressure is being increased because it definitely happens. In fact, I would drink licorice tea every now and then because my blood pressure is low Mm. and I know when it's getting low, I get a bit dizzy. So I think for this lady, there's no harm. I mean, everything in moderation anyway, Patricia, you know. So even if you do like the odd piece of licorice or a licorice herbal tea, it shouldn't affect your blood pressure. It would only be eating, it would be be if you were taking a lot of it. Yeah, actually it's interesting when you say for, because I suffer with low blood blood pressure as well. I didn't realise licorice tea is good for that. Yeah, that's lovely. It's really sweet to drink too. It's gorgeous. Lovely herbal tea. Yeah, yeah. it's gorgeous. It's one of the nicer herbal teas. Okay, question, this is from Mara. Question for uh, Annalise, please. I'm a 62-year-old woman, healthy, very active. I do weight training, walking, swimming etc I eat right no problems except I've gained a couple of kilos very suddenly especially during the last three months and yes you've guessed it it's around my waist and my rear I guess my metabolism has just stopped are there any herbs that might help with the weight gain thanking you Mm, now that's an interesting one there's so many other questions I would ask that lady if she called into the shop because there are things that can increase the likelihood of you Um, putting weight on around the middle um, and around the hip area and that's generally I mean it's a hormonal issue as well so often women will notice it once they start into menopause and our metabolism definitely changes around that time and slows down hugely Um, but other things as well like a lot of stress will cause you to put weight on around the middle Um, so if there's been a lot of stress particularly in this lady's life over the last couple of months And then sometimes it could be something small that you've added or taken away from your diet that is making a difference. Um, I'll always remember one lady coming to me who was on a different weight loss program with another uh, provider and she couldn't understand why she wasn't losing weight. But she had switched from drinking water to drinking pints of milk to try and fill her up and she didn't realise she was taking in nearly six or 700 extra calories a day just with the milk alone. So it could be something small that could be causing it like that. Um, have a look at the diet first and make sure you haven't made any change that could be significant. And then in terms of the herbs for that, there's 
certain herbs that will increase your ability to burn fat as a fuel. Um, those would be um, things like green tea extract, green coffee extract, um, cayenne pepper, so chili peppers are very good for upregulating that um, fat burning. It's very hard to get a, a significant improvement with the weight loss supplements. Um, and it's also impossible to do it with getting sit-ups. The only way to do it is to do an overall weight loss program, and that means cutting the calories as well. Sometimes a thyroid, a low thyroid function, could mean that maybe you're putting on weight, and if you're prone to putting it on around your hips and your your, your tummy, that's where you'll put it on before you start putting it on around your face. Um, so maybe if, you're, if you've been feeling low in energy, if your nails and hair have become a little bit brittle, that could maybe mean your thyroid is suffering. So maybe taking a thyroid supplement would be a way of supporting the metabolism in that case. Okay, Veronica in Mitchellstown. Is it safe to take turmeric for someone that is on a blood thinner uh, like warfarin? No, no, is the answer to that. Now, I think to put turmeric powder into your cooking is absolutely fine. fine. But not. But to take turmeric supplements, no. No. Okay, uh, Mary says, my 12-year-old granddaughter has been in hospital three times this month with severe stomach pain. She's been checked for everything, but nothing shows up. But yet she can be doubled up in pain when this pain hits her. Is there any natural cure that Annalise could suggest to alleviate the pain. Can I just say, because when, yeah. when, when I read that, a friend of mine's daughter had very similar symptoms as a teenager and was in and out of hospital. And he eventually, she was diagnosed with migraine. But she never actually got a headache. Everything was in her stomach. Yeah, absolutely. That's very possible, Patricia. And um, that's certainly something to look at as well. I mean, there's so many things that could be causing that pain. And, um, you know, often... Um, Poor digestion of foods means that the stomach is is cramping because um, it's trying to digest hard to digest foods and hasn't the ability. A digestive enzyme might be the answer. Sometimes, um, you know, if you've disrupted the good and the bad bacteria in your gut from antibiotic use or other medication use, that can cause pain and cramping. Um, It is a big thing as well, Patricia, when kids are growing. It seems to affect the stomach in a lot of kids, and they grow. And particularly out of at it. the age she's at, she's twelve. Yeah. yeah. So it could be a just all around, you know, just I think growing pains that are in the stomach. And I think probably the best thing to do is to call into your local health shop and go through the symptoms. I mean, there'd be so many other questions again to ask in this case, and it would be when does it occur? After what kind of meals? Uh, you know, whether that little girl is having a bowel movement every day or not. Um, so there's lots of other things that could be at play but your suggestion is actually often uh, a common one as well especially amongst girls coming into puberty mm. Okay where are we going Annalise uh, Hi could you ask Annalise I have infected gums I've taken antibiotics I've been on them for a week I thought at the time I needed a filling but it turned out it was an infection in my gum is there anything I can do to stop this and prevent it coming back because I really look after my teeth thank yeah. you that's from Elizabeth So I think probably one of the best things um, is the clove oil for teeth. Um, It's very, very antibacterial, so it's great if you have got any gum infection. So you could, um, now, if you've any cuts on your gums, don't rub it onto the gums directly because it'll sting very badly. But you could always put a few drops in with the carrier oil uh, and rub it into the gums. 
um, or you could put a bit into a mouthwash and do a mouthwash uh, with your gums. Also, I'm a big fan of grapefruit seed extract. We talk about it for various different things, but it is a great one to use for a mouth rinse. And if I'm ever traveling, Patricia, I bring it with me and I would always rinse um, my, soak my toothbrush in it. And then I don't feel so bad about brushing my teeth with the water out of the tap. You know, I don't, I feel that it it, uh, prevents against infection as well. So you could do a mouthwash with um, some um, grapefruit seed extract and a little bit of clove oil. Rub the clove oil around the affected gum area and try and avoid having another antibiotic. And then the last thing that I would suggest to keep all of your gums healthy is something called oil pulling. And if you go online, onto YouTube, you'll see lots of videos on how to do oil pulling. You can do it with any kind of oil, but coconut oil is one of the best ones because there is an acid in there called caprylic acid that's very good for getting rid of the nasty uh, bacteria that cause gum disease and pro- promoting the good bacteria that keep our mouth healthy. Okay, yeah, and it's I've 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 been doing it for a while. It's horrible initially when you do it, but once you get used to it, it's you it's do get fine. used to it. And I'd suggest doing it when you're watching telly. So yeah, so kind of distracted. Why, from you're what wild, you're, doing. Yeah, you're wild away. Okay, uh, texter says I am 66 and still waking two to three times at night with hot flushes. Are there any new remedies? I'm on sage for years. That's doing no good. And the do- my doctor, by the way, does not approve of HRT. So, um, yeah, HRT has become very unpopular, Patricia. A lot of, like my generation, our mothers all would have been on HRT and didn't know what it was to have a menopause symptom. So there has been no mother-to-daughter hand-me-downs of how horrible menopause can actually be for some women. And I would still have customers getting hot flushes in their late 60s. It's it's not entirely uncommon. And sage is the typical remedy. But if that's no longer working, there are a number of different ones that can help. A lot of the ones that have benefits are ones that mimic oestrogen in our bodies. They're plant oestrogens and they're very mild forms of oestrogens, but they can, they can sort of fool the body into, into um, thinking that it's got some oestrogen left. So they would be things like um, soya as isoflavones. Uh, other ones would be things like dong kwai. Uh, red clover is another one. You'll find all of these in health shops. And a lot of them will, uh, of the menopause ones, will have combinations like Wild Nutrition do an excellent menopause complex. Also, um, Dr. Marilyn Glenville, who'd be sort of the expert on female hormones, she does a very good one as well called Menopause Support. So go to your local health shop and ask for a different menopausal remedy and try that and maybe just drink the sage as a tea instead to, you know, to keep the sage in because that can work also. Okay, and at 66, she's hopefully coming to the end of it soon. Well, hopefully, exactly, Patricia. Yeah. And also, it's very hot at the moment anyway. Yeah, so it doesn't think, tell. Yeah, doesn't, doesn't tell. tell. Uh, May, Mary in May in Wing, sorry, May, uh, wants to make elderflower cordial. The recipe says to use citric acid. Is there a natural product or should it be avoided? Oh, I think citric acid is fine, Patricia. Um, I think it's the best one. I mean, you could use just pure lemon juice, um, but it's probably more, you have to be very, very... Um, stringent about sterilising your bottles and everything because there is acetic acid in lemon juice that will act as a preservative but I just don't know if it's enough to keep it from going mouldy. Now to be honest often mine goes mouldy and I just scrape off the mouldy bit at the top and work away. It doesn't bother me in the slightest but some people might be a bit Some people are completely put off by that. Yeah so just the citric acid isn't uh, like it's not kind of it's not a chemical 
it is actually just citric acid that's been isolated or pharmaceutically okay. made. We get it normally in citrus fruits anyway, so I wouldn't worry about using it. Yeah, I think it's just the fact the word acid is in it kind of puts uh, some puts people, people off. Up. You need the acid for preserving. Okay, Mary in North Cork, what kind of food does Annalise recommend if you've been diagnosed with a stomach ulcer? What should you be avoiding and what yeah. should you be taking? So, well, I think the what you should be avoiding, I suppose, is anything as- too acidy or anything too spicy. Um, that will irritate the lining anymore. Um, and that would just be in the short term because ideally what you will do is heal the stomach ulcer. Now, stomach ulcers can be caused by a number of things, but generally it's either the helicobacter pylori bacteria have affected the ability of your, your cells in your stomach to produce a nice thick layer of mucus to protect the lining. Stress is another factor as well. And it all, again, is affecting the ability of the stomach to protect its lining from acid that's released when you digest. So what you want is an alternative to the mucus layer and Slippery Elm does a beautiful job of that. So take Slippery Elm tablets or powder. If you take the powder, you can take it shortly before you eat, but it's vile. So taking a capsule about 20 minutes before you eat will coat your stomach beautifully and protect it from stomach acid and that will speed up your healing. Uh, other things that are great for um, stomach ulcers are mastic gum. That's great for healing as well. You'll buy that in a, in a health shop. And BioNutri do a wonderful one that has a lot of lovely other things in there that are great for healing the gut. And then a herb called Centaurium is very good to help balance the acid in the stomach, uh, which again can help in a roundabout way with healing of ulcers. Okay, and on bruising, I take aspirin, 75 milligrams a day. My arms and legs badly bruise. Is there anything I can take for bruising? Not really. Now, I probably would take a vitamin C, Patricia, just in case. Vitamin C is very important for the collagen of, uh, and like it's very important for the small little peripheral um, veins and capillaries. But the reason that this lady is bruising is because of the aspirin. So the aspirin um, thins the blood. So the blood is basically so thin it's leaking and that's what's causing the bruising. Uh, so I would suggest maybe she goes back and has a chat with the doctor about the dose uh, because it's very unsightly, obviously, to have so many bruises. Um, but that's purely as a result of the aspirin. Um, I don't think vitamin C will make a significant difference in this case. Okay, listen, we'll leave it there, Annalise. Thank you for that. And have a good week. And we'll chat again next week. That is Annalise Drissel of the Health Hub Times Square uh, in uh, Balancolic. Now, um, before we go, a reminder to you that the opening ceremony is taking place in Mill Street for the European Mounted Equestrian Games. And it is taking place this evening at 7pm. It's a parade of 16 nations and they'll go through the town led by the pipe band and the launch will then take place in the town square in Mill Street. All are very welcome to come along and the actual games themselves run from the 8th through to the 14th in the Green Glens uh, in uh, Mill Street. And that is all happening this evening at uh, seven. Okay, that's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick is with you for the afternoon and we are back with you tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock and we will have another double pair of tickets to give away to the everyman, to the odd couple. We have two pairs of tickets to give away every day this week. Thanks to our good friends at the everyman. Your chance to win. We'll do it similar to today. We'll call out three odd couples and one of them will be odd. You've got to work out which one it is. So we'll do it again tomorrow every day this week your chance to win. So until tomorrow at 10 o'clock I'm Patricia Messenger. Have a very good afternoon. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.